0: Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am now going to cover this audio, Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Our context is this, Paul in the previous chapter is exhorting the Christians with all kinds of moral exhortations. Very serious moral exhortations, for example, don't get involved in orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling and jealousy and all that kind of stuff. Fulfill the law by loving your neighbor, and then you'll do good things, and you don't do all those bad things. Well, all those bad things are obviously immoral, but now there's a lot of things that are not so obvious. There's a lot of gray areas, things that one can practice that some people think are okay and some people think are sinful. It's a common problem. They had it back then. We got it today. So Paul's going to deal with that in chapter 14. In the first 12 verses, he's going to talk about how the strong Christians and weak Christians shouldn't criticize each other. And in our next audio, the last section of chapter 14, we are going to take up a related subject. Paul takes up a related subject, which is don't make anybody to stumble. Don't cause somebody to stumble with your freedom. It's a slightly different topic, but it's, it's related. All this has to do with the adiaphora, the doubtful things. Things are not obviously immoral. Now, just for the sake of argument, there's a million types of things that could fall into this category. But for the sake of this discussion, I'm going to talk about eating pork. If, and I'm going to talk about uh, working on Sunday. Now, a strong, I'm going to define a strong Christian as somebody who sees absolutely nothing wrong with eating pork and nothing, nothing wrong with working on Sunday. That's a strong Christian. A weak Christian is going, somebody, is going to be somebody who thinks it's wrong to eat pork and who thinks it's wrong to work on Sunday. So we start with chapter 14, verse 1. Accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about doubtful issues. Now, the person who is weak in faith, of course, as I just said, is somebody who has scruples. He thinks that the, that God is against something that actually God's not against. Now, Paul is probably referring to Jewish Christians at Rome. The NIV Study Bible, Steve Ackerson, John Gill, suggest that. These Jewish Christians were unwilling to give up the observance of some part of the Mosaic Law, probably. And I just picked eating pork, for example. They they say, oh, we're not supposed to eat pork. Now, Let's distinguish those weak Jewish Christians in Rome between the Judaizers of Galatia. Now, those guys, they thought it was wrong to eat pork, all right, but they went even further and they said, it: you Gentiles ought not to eat pork. If you don't eat pork, God will owe you something. He'll owe you a little bit of righteousness. And then these Judaizers in Galatia actually were, they were forcing their heretical teaching in all the churches of Galatia. Now the Roman Jews didn't really do that. What they 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 probably thought in their minds, they criticized people who ate for pork, but they didn't say they didn't act like they were that people who ate pork were outside of the faith and needed to eat pork to get saved. They were just saying you ought not to eat pork in order to stand God's good graces to be sanctified. That's a distinction that we can probably make. I, and I know that's arguable, but I think some people have made it. And I think it makes sense. Being weak in faith is not quite the same thing as being a, an aggressive Judaizer. But it's probably Jews in Rome that are weak in faith. And Paul says, well, don't argue about it. Don't argue about doubtful issues, whether you should eat pork or not. Paul, of course, is there now talking to the strong Christians. They don't have scruples about Jewish observances, about whether you work on Saturday or whether you eat pork or not. Now, it makes sense that Paul is talking to the strong Christians first, and in these type of discussions, this is generally what happens. The teacher exhorts the strong Christian. Why? Because they are the ones that are more likely to have to make adjustments necessary to produce harmony. They are the ones who are going to have to not eat pork. Another good example is drinking beer. There's absolutely nothing wrong with drinking beer, but by golly, in the South, amongst Christians... I would say the great majority of Christians in the South, at least traditionally, have thought it was a mortal sin to drink a beer. Well, if you're around Christians like that, well then, don't drink a beer. You're the one that's going to have to make the adjustment. Don't don't get in an argument about it. Paul doesn't say, drink the beer and prove to that weak Christian that he's full of bull. He doesn't know what he's talking about. No, you don't do that. You just don't argue about it. Avoid the hassle. Avoid the controversy. Life's... Even church life is full of too much controversy anyway. Why add controversy over stuff that doesn't matter? You can live without drinking a beer. You can live without eating pork. You can live without eating working on Sunday. Probably. We go to Romans 14, verses 2 through 3. One person believes he may eat anything, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not criticize one who does, because God has accepted him. Now... Why would the weak Christian eat only vegetables? My example I've been using was he he eats anything besides pork, like he could eat beef or chicken. But here you got a weak Paul's mentioned a weak person. He doesn't even do that. He only eats vegetables. Now why would Paul say something like that? The mosaic law didn't forbid eating chicken or beef. So why would a Jew be going beyond the mosaic law and eating only vegetables? Well. Probably because they feared that the meat that was offered in the meat markets in Rome had been offered to idols at some point, and they were worried that if they ate meat to idol, sacrifice idols, they'd be participating in idol worship. Paul, of course, mentions that in the other passage about doubtful things in First Corinthians ten, I believe it is. And of course, let's just let's just get that out of the way now. That's a complicated passage, but basically, what it's saying is is that. If you know the meat came from i has been offered to idols, well then don't eat it. But if you buy the meat from the meat market and you don't know whether it was offered to idols, then not eat it, unless it makes your brother stumble, unless he has a scruple about it. Well, so that's probably why somebody's eating only vegetables. They're trying to avoid eating idols, idol meat. And of course, a strong Christian is going to say, well, you know, it might have been sacrificed to idols. This is left over, but it's not being sacrificed to idols now. And besides, we don't know it was sacrificed to idols. It might be something else. Why should I give up eating meat just because I don't know whether the meat, just because the meat might have been sacrificed to idols? There's a good controversy there. Well, the answer to it is you don't look down on the vegetable-eating Jewish guy and say, oh, you poor pitiful thing. You don't understand freedom in Christ. You're just a legalist. You don't do that. And likewise, the person who refuses to eat that idol meat doesn't criticize the one who does eat the meat. And he should say, well, it's all right with him. He doesn't know. He's not really participating in idol worship. I've got no right to criticize him. God has accepted him. Oh, would we all have that attitude? Now, remember, Jesus has already taught the Christian to be strong about idol meat. Jesus has already taught Christians that they could eat any food, Mark seven eighteen through 19. And he, Jesus said to them, said to the disciples, Are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a man from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. As a result, he made all foods clean. Let me repeat that. He, that's Jesus, made all foods clean. And that includes pork. Now, although the strong... Christian must not criticize the weak Christian for having scruples, that doesn't mean that the strong Christian should not try to educate the weak Christian and try to point out to him why he, his scruples are wrong and he should get rid of them. He needs to do it gently, of course, and by maybe, for example, quoting that verse to him that I just read, Mark seven eighteen through 19, he made all foods clean. Same thing with drinking beer, drinking wine, just go to all the places in the Bible where people drank wine and were happy. And then you could say, but that doesn't mean you advocate drunkenness, because the Bible clearly condemns drunkenness. There's a distinction between those two things. You should take the weak Christian and explain things to him and educate him. Don't just let him sit there in his weakness and tolerate each other. You should tolerate each other, but it it takes more than that. There should be weak. Think about it. Don't we generally tend to go from weak to strong if we need to get muscle mass? We lift weights to go from being weak to strong. Likewise, a weak Christian should be educated so that he becomes a strong Christian. Don't look down and criticize each other. Galatians 5.15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. And what was the issue there? Legalism. What shall we do? What should we not do? Now this problem of eating here. In verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. The Roman Christians had plenty of opportunity to see what everyone ate in the church because they ate the Lord's Supper as a full meal every week and it would become a burning issue right there if people are eating pork at the Lord's Supper, causing people to stumble, and so forth. We go to verse 4 in Romans 14. Who are you to criticize another another's household slave? Before his own Lord he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, Paul uses a homely example. You don't go into another household and then criticize a servant in that household and say, hey, you're not washing the dishes right. You're not cooking the food right. That's just not good manners. Nobody does that. And so Paul makes the analogy, says, who's the master of the house? God or the Lord, or say the Lord Jesus is the master of the house. And that weak brother over there that you're looking down on and making fun of and saying he's got too many scruples. Well, guess what? He's in his master's house. He's in Jesus's house. Who are you to criticize? The servant of somebody, uh, uh, the servant of his master. You don't do that in daily life when you go into somebody else's house and criticize somebody else's servant well your weak brother is jesus's servant you don't criticize him and of course it works the other way too the weak person should not criticize the strong person it by the way uh it's not clear here whether paul is criticizing the whether he is chastising the strong christian or the weak christian he says who are you to criticize another's household slave well who's you referring to well it could be Who are you, strong Christian, to criticize that weak Christian? Or it could be, who are you, weak Christian, criticizing the strong Christian because he's eating pork? Now, weak believers tend to be judgmental, so there is sort of a tendency to think that Paul is criticizing the weak weak Christian here. Why are you criticizing somebody else for eating pork? Could be. Frankly, I think it's both. Both the strong Christian criticizing the weak, and Paul is chastising that strong Christian. Who are you to judge that person because he feels like he can't eat pork? Or, and I think also Paul is chastising the weak Christian who is criticizing the strong Christian by saying, you are a bad person because you're eating the pork. Once again, the weak Christian is wrong to be criticizing the strong Christian because Colossians 2, 16, 17 says this, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone judge you. Christian, strong Christian, don't let a weak Christian judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is the Messiah. So this is an admonition for strong Christians not to be judged by weak Christians. And by the way, I think that's important to remember. So often when this is taught, it's always the, the strong Christians are always criticized and said, you need to be careful with your weak brothers, which is absolutely true. But we need to put the other side of the coin in there. Weak Christians aren't supposed to be criticizing the strong Christians either. And I will say this also, I believe it's in the context of one church. If you start getting hypothetical about it and say, well, you know, I can't drink a beer because the people at Bob Jones will make them stumble. Well, I'm not in their church. They're not going to see me drink the beer. So I'm not worried about making Bob Jones people stumble. I mean, my gosh, there's a million things I could do to probably make them stumble. Well, that's fine. They have their convictions. That's fine with me. And I'm not going to make them stumble. Now, if I'm in a church service with them, if I'm in some kind of ministry with them or something, Well, then I'm I'm going to be very careful. I won't even speak in tongues around him if that will make him stumble. I won't drink wine if it will make him stumble. There's no point. There's no point in that. It causes division. What's the point? We go to Romans 14, verse 5. One person considers one day to be above another day. Paul now moves from food issues to day issues. One person considers one day to be above another day. Someone else considers every day to be the same each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, what day is Paul talking about? Well, he's probably talking again. He's talking to the Jewish Christians in Rome, and the Jewish Christians have special days in their law. For example, the Sabbath day, Passover, that's every Saturday, Passover, which is every spring, Pentecost every summer, the day of atonement every fall, and then, of course, you've got the it's all kind of like the seven days of Unliving bread after Passover. You got the feast of the new moon feast every first of new moon day, first day of every month. There's oh, there's a ton of them. They're all over the place. You got this year jubilee. You got the every seven year Sabbaths. Yeah, you got lots of special days. Now we're not under that anymore. We're free from the Mosaic law, so we're not under that anymore. So the strong Christian will say, "Well, that's fine." Today might be Passover, but um, that's for Jews. I'm not a Jew anymore. I'm a Christian. I'm gonna I'm gonna work on the Passover, or same thing with Pentecost. Hey, that's fine, but that's a Jewish holiday. I'm no longer a Jew. I'm a Christian. But there might be some Jewish Christians there who, because of their tradition and their culture, will say no, no, no. I can't work on the Passover. I can't work on Pentecost. I can't work on the Day of Atonement. That's horrible. So, so the, the Jews and the Gentiles got to get along there in Rome. Again, the, the Jewish Christian who wants to keep these days is would be the weak Christian. The strong Christian is the Christian who's fully convinced that one day, every day is to be the same. Now, notice that Paul gives an option here. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Each one, that includes the strong Christian who considers every day to be the same, which means that Paul allows for the possibility that it is perfectly moral to work on, on the Sabbath. Now, I don't know how present-day Sabbatarians who switch Saturday to Sunday, illegitimately in my opinion, but they switch it to Sunday and say it's a sin for me to work on Sunday. Well, I'm sorry. The early church didn't work on Sunday. There wasn't a blue law in the Roman Empire until Constantine times, which is the early 4th century. 300 years of working on Sunday. Were all those Christians sinning? I mean, come on. It can't be. So the weak Christian has a duty here, I think, to learn about the Sabbath and realize that Paul here in Romans 14.5 allows for the possibility that a Christian can consider a Sabbath day to be the same as any other day. Now, that strong Christian, if he becomes convinced of that, he should not look down his nose at the weak Christian who thinks that Saturday is a special day, or Sunday, if you want to have a Sunday Sabbath, is a special day. We don't look down on those people. There's a lot of Christians today who believe the Sabbath is holy and you're not supposed to work on Sunday, and I think that is a totally untenable position. I mean, preachers preaching that, oh, Sunday is a holy day, we're not supposed to work on Sunday, and when does the preacher work, and when does he do most of his work? On Sunday, which means he's a hypocrite. So, no, that ain't going to work. And then you've got to make all these exceptions for, well, what about the pharmacists and what about the doctors and what about the policemen? But at any rate, let's just say somebody still believes this thing about Sunday is holy, a holy day, you're not supposed to work. Well, if he's convinced of that, more power to him. I'm not going to argue with him. There's no point in making an argument. However, if he wants to talk about it, it is my duty to try to convince him that all these are the same. Now, this idea about the Sabbath day being the same as any other day actually is quite controversial amongst evangelicals because it destroys the idea of the Christian Sabbath, and the idea of the Christian Sabbath is the closest thing to an idol I've ever seen in evangelical Christianity. Let me give you some examples, 19th century examples. Here's the first from Adam Clark. Quote, "...that the Sabbath is of lasting obligation may be reasonably concluded from its institution and from its typical reference." All allow that the Sabbath is a type of that resting glory which remains for the people of God. Now, all types are intended to continue in full force till the anti-type or thing signified take place. Consequently, the Sabbath will continue in force till the consummation of all things. Well, the first problem, Mr. Clark, is that we have already attained the rest of God. That's our salvation. That rest goes all through the new covenant up until the final state, the consummation of all things, but it's here now. So already you've got a problem. the type has been fulfilled, so you can't say the Sabbath is a type that lasts forever it's 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 finished it's Kaputsky, it's finished now. let's look at what Jameson, Foss and Brown have to say from this passage about the observance of days. Alfred unhappily infers that such language could not have been used if the Sabbath law had been enforced under the Gospel in any form. Well, Alfred is exactly right about that in my humble opinion. The Sabbath law was not enforced during the under the Gospel in the New covenant era. In the times of Jesus, in the times of the Messiah, there is no Sabbath law anymore. And uh, Presbyterians, are you listening? Reformed people, are you listening? I just cannot believe the theological gyrations Reformed Presbyterians have to go through to tell me that the Sabbath is still in effect for Christians today. But they do it. All right, well, Jameson Farson Brown disagrees with Alford who says that there is no Sabbath law today. He continues, certainly it could not if the Sabbath were merely one of the Jewish festival days. In other words, it could not offered, uh, excuse me, Jameson Foster and Brown continued by saying it could not, meaning the language of this verse that Paul just used in Romans 14:5, which says that some people considered every day to be the same. That language couldn't be used if there's still a Sabbath law, because then you can't consider every day equal. One day is different than another if there's a Sabbath law saying you have to specially consider the Sabbath. And so James all F, F, uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown say, well, that's true. Paul could not have said what he said if there's still a Sabbath law under the New Covenant if the Sabbath were merely one of the Jewish festival days, but it will not do to take this for granted, merely because it was observed under the Mosaic economy. And certainly, if the Sabbath were more ancient than Judaism, if even under Judaism it was enshrined among the eternal sanctities of the Decalogue, uttered, as no other parts of Judaism were, amidst the terrors of Sinai, and if the lawgiver himself said of it when on earth the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day, it will be hard to show that the apostle must have meant it to be ranked by his readers among those vanished Jewish festival days. In other words, Jameson Foster Brown is saying the Passover is vanished. Pentecost is vanished. The day of atonement is vanished, but not the Sabbath is still here. Of course, it used to be on Saturday. Now we've got to switch it to Sunday. Listen, in my humble opinion, Christians need to get past all that. That's nonsense. Paul says that, hey, if you want to believe that one day is the same as another, go right ahead and believe it. Nobody's got any right to condemn you on it. As you can see, I'm convinced in my own mind. As Paul says in verse 5, each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. And that idea of personal conviction runs all through this passage, as the NIV Study Bible notes, referring to Romans fourteen fourteen, which is will be in our next audio. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. Notice that Paul says, I know, I am persuaded, I'm convinced, but hey, if you're not, it's unclean to you. Romans 14:22 through 23. Do you have a conviction? Keep it to yourself before God. The one who does not condemn himself for what he approves is blessed. In other words, if I eat pork and I'm not condemned, if I approve eating pork, but that doesn't condemn me, well, I'm blessed. I'm free to eat pork. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats. If I eat pork and I'm thinking, ooh, this might be bad. I might be sinning against Christ. Well, his eating is not from a conviction. Everything that's not from a conviction is sin. So on doubtful things, you need to be convinced in your own mind. And Paul gives me the option in verse five of being convinced that Saturn's Saturday is the same as Sunday is the same as Monday, as far as that goes, as far as work goes. Now, remember, we're not talking about fundamental doctrines of Christianity. Paul would never say uh, to someone who denied the Trinity, let everyone be convinced in his own mind whether the Trinity exists. Of course, that's absurd. This is talking about the adiaphora, the doubtful things. This is not talking about doctrinal fundamentals. Let me give you a quote from the famous Charles Spurgeon, actually. This is a quote from Steve Ackerson, who's referring to Charles Spurgeon. Quote, The famous Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon was a cigar smoker. Remember, that was in the days when some doctors actually told patients to smoke for its calming benefits. There's an apocryphal story circulating that one day he came upon one of his seminary students smoking. Spurgeon asked the young man in a serious voice if he could honestly stand there and smoke to God's glory. The seminarian ashamedly said, No, sir, and put out his cigarette. Spurgeon looked at him, reached into his coat, pulled out a cigar, lit it, and said, I can. (laughs) He can stand there and serve God smoking a cigar. The problem is that the student was not convinced in his own mind, but Spurgeon was. We go now to verse 6. Paul continues, whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat, yet he thanks God. So whoever, that means strong or weak. you got the same motive to serve God and thank him. So, hey, lay off of each other. We go to verses 7, 8, and 9. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and came to life for us that he might rule over both the dead and the living. Now, Paul here, of course, is talking about living and dying, living and dying. He's referring to everything we can possibly do in this life. We live and we die. That's just about it. That sums it all up, doesn't it? So he says, everybody lives like that. No one just lives by himself (laughs) or for himself. He says to himself means for himself. I suppose no one dies by himself. We all are in it together. Our lives and our deaths are entangled with other people's. And we can't just be an island to ourselves and smoke all the cigars we want if it makes somebody stumble or or anything like that. We just don't. Everything is for God, not for us. It's not ourselves that we live or die for. We're living and dying for Jesus. That's who we live and die for, and he cares about both the strong and the weak Christian. Notice that Paul picks up on that living or dying theme when he says that he, Jesus, might rule over both the dead and the living. I suppose he means the spiritually dead there, the living or the spiritually living Christians, and the dead people who don't accept him, he rules over those because even people who reject him are still subject to his rule. We go to Romans fourteen ten through 12. But you, why do you criticize your brother? Or you, why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before the tribunal of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, in verse 10, when Paul says, why do you criticize your brother? That's addressed to the weak brother. Why? What's the matter with you? Why do you feel like you can't eat, you have to eat, you cannot eat pork? Why, why do you feel like there's something wrong in eating pork? Don't criticize the weak brother. That's addressed to the weak brother according to the, to the NIV study Bible and John Gill. I think they're right. And then the second sentence of verse 10, Romans 14, Paul says, Or you, why do you look down on your brother? Well, who's, who's he speaking to there? He's addressing that to the strong brother looking down on that poor, pitiful, weak Christian, that scrupulous Christian who thinks it's wrong to eat pork. Then IV Study Bible and Gill also say that that's referring to the weak brother. And then he says, For we will all, that means all Christians, weak and strong. That's at the end of verse 10. We all, all of us Christians, will stand before the tribunal of God. It doesn't matter who we are, we're all going to be judged before God. So let's think about that when we want to judge our brother for whatever reason. Stand before the tribunal of God, then IV has God's judgment seat. There's the famous judgment seat of God, which is in the scriptures. All Christians will be judged based on works. Now the issue is service, not salvation. How much works we did, and that's, the rewards and so forth, that has nothing to do with whether you're saved or not. You're going to get there, but then once you get there, you're going to get rewarded if you do more work. God's a just God. And you will not feel jealous of somebody else like, that got more rewards than you because you know they deserve to get more rewards than you. When I see a, the Apostle Paul up there, hey, no problem. Take all your honors. You deserve it, Paul. I'm not going to feel cheated. Here's some other verses talking about the tribunal of God. Second Corinthians 5:10. For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. This was in the context of setting up churches and doing apostolic work. First Corinthians 3:10 through 15. According to God's grace. Well, excuse me. I'm not sure what the context was in Second Corinthians 5 and First Corinthians 3:10 through 15. This context is Paul talking about apostolic work setting up churches and so forth according to god's grace that was given to me i have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it but each one must be careful how he builds on it for no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down that foundation is jesus christ if anyone builds on that foundation with gold silver costly stones wood hay or straw each one's work will become obvious for the day will disclose it that's the judgment day Because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. In other words, you're going to get fire applied to your work. And if the work endures the fire, that means it's a good work. You get rewarded. If anyone's work that he has built survived, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost. But he will be saved. Yet it will be like an escape through fire. In other words, you can get saved. The way I put it is, a guy in my went to school with me professing Christian about 30 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, backslid and ended up in all kinds of sin, died a miserable death. You know, I was talking to a mutual friend. We said, yeah, he made it all right. He's going to be in the suburbs of heaven. <laughs> He's going to be in the sticks. Well, I guess that's another way of saying that, you, go, you know, he'll be saved, but you're not going to get a lot of reward. Paul says in verse 11, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. That includes weak Christians, strong Christians, and non Christians. Paul is quoting there from Isaiah 45, verse 23. By myself I have sworn, by, that's God speaking, by myself, by God myself, I have sworn. Truth has gone forth from my mouth, from God's mouth, a word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me, every tongue will swear allegiance. That verse is also quoted in Philippians 2, 9 through 10. For this reason, Paul is writing to the Philippians. He says this, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In other words, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, we have finished Romans 14, verses 1 through 12. We will start in the next audio with verse 13. Go to the end of the chapter and talk about not making your brother stumble. Hope you tune into that audio. I hope you enjoyed this one.